welcome everyone to episode 27 of the Balinesian podcast. I am Lance Falichongo. Up, folks? I'm Forrest Lola. We are sponsored by LivansaIslandApparel.com. Check them out now and always online. Dope new gear happening. Catch the wave at LivansaIslandApparel.com. Forrest, how are you doing? Staying hydrated? I am. Nice. How goes the week? Not too bad. Uh, Just trying to stay constant, doing the things that... I should be doing. <laughs> doing the right thing, continuing doing the right yeah, continued yeah. works. Yeah. That's what Eri would call them. Continued works. Yes. Does it continue? Continued, consistent. Just keep plugging along. Amen. Just put the plan in motion. I feel it. Uh let's talk about this uh documentary that came out. Netflix Untold. Ooh, the girlfriend that didn't exist. So shout out to Netflix for giving us these uh <laughs> these titles <laughs> man that didn't exist Sheesh. the girlfriend that didn't exist thanks a lot for reminding us so we both okay from the football side i feel like me and you are both affected right because oh, notre sure. dame right yeah you're a big sure. notre dame fan yeah, he got yeah. drafted by the chargers the first three years of his career were in san diego right so as far as like people that have seen manti teo play for their teams we can attest a little bit uh, to that, what Man. was uh, what was uh, Manti like in in high school? When did you first hear about Manti Tail? I think his senior year of high school, only because he was being so heavily recruited. And me being from Samoa, I always check on like uh, the recruits from Hawaii because uh, not until maybe a couple years ago, we were actually getting like ranked players from American Samoa, like directly from American Samoa. Like you have like uh. Francisco Moimua and his brother, uh, what's his, one of the brothers, see, not friend, um, the younger brother, what is his name, who is the number one tackle in the country this year, uh, signed with Miami. What, IMG? Yeah, out of IMG. Uh, so, like, the all the brothers. Yes. He's a big kid. So, like, all the brothers, uh, even down to their eldest brother, uh, Frank, who I had the pleasure of coaching basketball in American Samoa, like, they were all ranked somewhere. Frankie Luvu was ranked, you know what I mean, guys like Destiny. But during Manti's year, like, no one really from American Samoa was ranked uh, out here in the States. So I used to watch Hawaii's players heavily because my connection to the islands. And Manti being the number one linebacker in the country that year, that was crazy. Out of Punahou. And Punahou is also on the uh, up-and-coming in Hawaii, uh, and usually if you listen to who's who in football in Hawaii, especially around championship time, you'll hear two schools most of the time, which is Koku and St. Louis. So to hear like Puno Hall was in the running, and then you got Milani over the years has uh, been pretty dope. Um, so to hear Puno is a private school, private school, private school. I, I can how many of those? Know. How many of those uh, other schools are private? Like the big Hawaii. Uh, St. Louis is private. Punahou is private. Kamehameha uh, is private, of course. Um, who else would be private? Iolani is private. So they have in Hawaii. They have. I, I don't know if it's mixed anymore or it's it's mixed now. But they didn't mix the private schools with the public schools until like playoff time or championship time before. Mm-hmm. So they had the OIA, which were all the public schools. 
that was their league, and then the ILH was all the private schools. So, so do you think that he like elevated that school out of you oh, know, like so. the regularness and into the championships? I, I think so. I mean, because they've had good players before, but I mean, Manti Tell was literally a top five recruit in the country, the number one linebacker, the top five recruit. And he didn't just play linebacker, he played running back. And he was just, you know, he was good at that too. So you definitely, I think, uh, if he didn't put Puno on the map, he put them back on the map. So, yeah, that was his senior year. And then I was I was excited to have him to uh, go to Notre Dame. And they, they had the story on how he switched. Like he said, he was dead set on going to SC. Until oh, he okay. <laughs> All right. See, that's that's another point, right? Because as soon as he's like, yo. I wanted to go to USC all my life. I was like, I'm going to go to USC. I want to go to USC. I went to a camp. I went to like a weekend at USC, had a great camp. I went back home and I told my parents, I'm going to USC. And then my dad said, that's cool. Make sure you pray on it. (laughs) He says he's in class and he prays and he's like, Lord, I think I should go to USC, the University of Southern California. They're doing good things over there. People getting paid, too. But if that's not what you want me to do, Lord, give me a sign. Hey, DMX said, hey, Lord, give me a sign. (laughs) Soon after that, Gary Sadaway, I don't know who you are, (laughs) but Gary Sadaway, who's like another father to Manti, he tells him, hey, I'm going to USC. And whoever Gary Sadaway is says, oh, man, you're going to go to USC. You're going to be the next great Polynesian football player. I just thought you would have always gone somewhere else and been the only Manti Teo. And he changes his mind and does not go to USC. Bro, that is the best uh... – <laughs> Because That's some random dude speech I've ever heard. <laughs> some random dude tells you something he thought was a bar that he thought was fire. That he was probably watched it, was watching like a Denzel movie and like just like, oh, you could flip words like that. And then oh. he tries it out on this kid, and instead of going I to take the it University here, of USC California, fact. instead of going to fight on for the Trojans, <laughs> oh. he decides to sign. His life <laughs> to Notre Dame, your school. <laughs> Re- rewind the tape, bro. Why is my man crying as he signs to your school? Because he's so overjoyed that he made the right choice. <laughs> Those are not tears of joy. No, sir. Oh. He was like, I want to go to USC, but God is making me go somewhere else. <laughs> bro, I was like, you know what? You deserve everything that happens to you after this. Wow. wow. We will show time and time again that Manti kind of did not want to see the signs. You're going to take this man saying something as a sign to change your total collegiate sport direction. Hey, Amen. But you won't take any of the signs that your girlfriend is not real. <laughs> um, most people know God. the story, right? Matt Titel, his senior year, yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, his grandma passes away. His longtime girlfriend passes away. He dedicates the season. Uh, on the same his day now, season? You guys don't know. It was the they same. passed away on the same day. <laughs> on the same day. There's so questions about that. We're gonna go through that. Um but we find out as Manti Teo is uh, a high, is being considered for the Heisman Trophy, is at is in New York for the Heisman ceremony, is playing Alabama in the national championship. Uh, the story starts to break that Manti Teo's dead girlfriend is a hoax. Things go crazy. Uh, most people know that story. But this uh, this documentary, did you uh, do you feel like you learned anything new from this? Yeah, I think the documentary kind of filled in a lot of the blanks uh, for some people who weren't maybe old enough to follow the story when it first broke, and then for some people who just didn't know some of the particulars. Like I didn't know that after. Uh, his girlfriend had died from leukemia that Ronaya or the person who was uh, perpetrating as his girlfriend decided to bring her back from the dead. That was crazy. Like, you know, have the girlfriend die from leukemia and then all of a sudden bring her back later because you're lonely and because you can't stand that. This is my take. You can't stand that he's getting all this attention and you're not part of it anymore. Like, and then call him and be like, I'm back. <laughs> back from where, fool? Vacation? <laughs> oh, no. Where'd you go, 7-Eleven? But, um, yeah, I mean, just, uh, man, that was crazy how the story just got more elaborate and elaborate and elaborate. Like, it was, and like you said, like, it's like those are the signs. Like, I know by that point, when she came back from the dead, he had to have known, like, all right, somebody's fucking with me. Like, you know, this is crazy. Um, have you ever been a catfish before? No, I haven't. No, what I is a catfishing is <laughs> catfishing is when someone's pretending to be someone else online. Yes. Someone's using somebody else's photos, yes. presenting themselves as another person. Yes. Usually for like trying to get money. Trying to get, I mean, trying to find love. Time, yeah, a lot of the time there's monetary gain uh, going through this when you go through. Some of them is uh, emotional gain, like because mm. some of these people really believe that they can't get um, emotional fulfillment without being somebody else. Like they don't believe that someone can genuinely like them. So. Oh, okay. So you. People would not like me for who I am if I put right. myself out right. as a, as is. Right. So I'm going to create a profile that people like and I can have these interactions that I probably wouldn't be able to have right. just as myself. Which Do you sucks. believe that? Like that you couldn't have those interactions? No, it's because you're looking for you're looking for those those you're looking for that fulfillment from somebody who doesn't want to give it to you. There's someone out there always willing to give you stuff like that. And so uh, a lot of these people, maybe like physical appearance for them is, isn't like they don't believe they are, I don't want to say where they don't believe that they're physically 
attractive enough to interact with some of these people. So it's so much easier to pick somebody else's picture, uh, you know, someone's whole physical appearance, but put your personality behind it, which sucks because then, uh, then sometimes things become real online for these people. Like, I, I mean, I know everybody's watched the show Catfish. And like the people that go searching for the people that they've been talking to, that's mm-hmm. tough for them because they've now grown in an emotional attachment to this picture. And there's a real personality behind it, though. You know, like there's a real personality or a real person. There's a well, real there's a person. Real, same thing. For, well, not same thing, but both mm-hmm. a real person and, and a, a whole real personality behind it. And you start falling for, of course, physical attraction is always going to be something you see first. So. First, you're physically attractive. Yeah, person looks good. And then all of a sudden, now you're invested in it emotionally, you know? Now you're invested. You, you, you've told them personal things about you that you probably wouldn't tell anybody without, you know I me mean? Being attracted yeah. to them or, or finding what's, that connection. What's it like? What's the long-distance dating game out in the islands, like growing up in Samoa? Uh, it, it's tough. Were people really online like that? So, Catfish, the documentary, came out in 2010. Right. The MTV show starts in 2012. Right. Some of these interactions are like 2009, 2010, 11. Right. It's like people don't even know what catfishing is. They don't even expect people to not be who they're showing. Right. Like everyone just assumes that. That's oh, them. this picture is yeah. a picture that person took of themselves. Right. That's not even a thing to think about. Right. And so if like, living, like if you if you were in Samoa at the time, like uh not everybody had access to like uh uh what call it again? Uh what did we see? It's how far back it was. Dial <laughs> up. Well, I mean though, not every, people had internet connection, but not everybody had um Jesus. Well, not everybody had a camera, uh, an internet camera or a computer camera. I can't even figure out what they were called. Jesus. Anyway, so not everybody had a webcam. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> I really hate myself right now. But not everybody had a web, like access to webcams or even in the States. It was like if you wanted to do it, you really had to, like, someone had to have a camera on their side. You had to have a camera. And not everybody at the time was like, not everybody now has a, a cell phone with a camera. You can literally FaceTime or uh, messenger chat with somebody and, and uh, do that uh, video call. But back then you had to, what were we, what were we using? Uh, people use like AIM or they used, uh, man, what did they use? Is it game? Oh, Skype. No, AIM. Oh, Skype. AIM. Yeah. American, what is that? Instant messenger. Oh, you're talking about AOL. That's way back. <laughs> this was it. America. I know. Pe- I know people with an active AOL account. <laughs> what? That's wild. That's, That's wild. crazy. That's, That's wild. wild. Um, yeah. What time? What, what time saying? did you? What time did you? Uh, did you watch uh, the documentary? You watched both episodes. I did. The whole thing? Well, yeah. You really want me to tell people that I was up at twelve thirty one in the morning? Scrambling eggs and <laughs> we should have recorded this at like two in the morning. <laughs> Yo, oh, we man. loaded up, we loaded up 
the documentary at like 11.45 last night. And then uh, it was, the, you couldn't play the documentary. You had to play the trailer, like playing oh, the wow, episodes. Yeah, really it had wasn't to wait active. 12? Yo, yeah, I thought it was going to be like 9 o'clock because it's 12 o'clock Eastern right, time and, zone. And, but it, yeah. it still, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't available. But that, yo, 12.01 came. And it was on, and we were in, and we were watching. Um, yeah, just new information from the the documentary really is just getting the the side from both Naya and Mantai because their interviews after everything happened. As we welcome in Ralph, What's up, welcome. Brother? You caught me like. Well, I was heading out the door, and I was like, "Yeah, I got some shit to say. Let me get on here." <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ralph Misa, techie, photographer, fitness instructor, foodie. Welcome onto the show. Much appreciated. Thank you for stopping by. Yeah. We are we are discussing uh, the documentary "Untold: The Girlfriend Who Didn't Exist" that dropped uh, today, um, directed by Ryan Duffy and Tony Vinuku. Uh, what are your what are your thoughts? What do you what did you want to say about it? Well, a little bit of context. Um, Tony Vainuku, I I, res, I reside in uh, Salt Lake City for the time being, but originally from Carson. Um, Tony Vainuku, hmm. um, I know him from the gym because I used to see him at the gym a lot. So I watched his previous um, documentary on uh, in football, we trust, and so kind of. I, I watched the I watched the documentary and a little bit more context. I know Naya personally from Carson. So I wanted to add a little bit more color mm-hmm. to that perspective because you're gonna get a lot of sports right high profile um, um Manti is. Um and we kind of know everybody kind of knows each other's families, but I think for the most part, kind of dissecting the the documentary, there's a lot of layers in there amongst the actual situation. Mm-hmm. What my thought is. And, um, part of that, I was actually uh, messaging uh, my boy Cisco, Big Body Cisco. I didn't know if you know Big Body Cisco and been watching his Shout recent out Big Body Cisco. Um, updates. And I said, if you don't talk about this, <laughs> and like <laughs> reviews, bro, like this directly impacts a lot of layers and, and surfaced topics around our Polynesian community from Laie to, to Carson. And then there's just, just kind of this underlying layer, but I'll what, are, of- uh, what are the different layers? Would you say, like, I feel like a strong one is, is going to be like homophobia and people coming around I think how that, that whole thing was attacked. Yeah. I think initially what you'll get uh, from my perspective is that if you take yourself outside of what your, whatever, denomination or whatever your thoughts are and you look at the story I think it's important to point out that um, the way Tony crafted the parallels because when they actually filmed it they didn't film them with discussion amongst each other right Mm -hmm. so you have Manti telling one story his full story and then you have Naya in a totally separate um, conversation so the way it was actually crafted was pretty brilliant to me because we have two different stories happening concurrently, but they were parallel to each other. If you looked at and you really magnified coming out of that, 
and you're looking at what was happening in between of all of this media coverage and you know if you get away from what was actually happening because we know what was happening in the catfish era i think also an important thing to point out was that the inception of mtv's catfish show <laughs> really was sparked off of this story so circa, uh. 19, circa 2009 um they started the conversation. It wasn't blown up until about 2013, 14-ish. But what was happening, if you look at the timeline in, in terms of pop culture, I think Neve even actually mentioned it a long time ago. But that's actually what propelled MTV's Catfish series because of that blow up. That's and, what started it. Yeah, that's what actually pushed them to the forefront because he was pitching this. He was pitching um, Catfish prior. Um, but it wasn't magnified. It wasn't picked up until the Manti story unfolded. And that's what propelled the MTV show. So there's a lot of things that were, I think, happened because of this and a lot of effects from, I mean, when you talk about layers, you have a whole organization. One, you have the college organization, football organization, that have consultants that are talking about how to craft the narrative around yeah. um, Manti even up until the point of the draft, right? And so the point of the draft was, was like how Manti didn't get selected on the first draft. So it brings back the point of the organization of the NFL and how much the media plays into that. Because if I'm right, the, you watch, did you watch the documentary for us too? Yeah, I did. If you think about the effects of what media plays, right? And mm-hmm. I didn't honest about the Heisman nomination, there's oh, a lot sure. of uh, the sports writers have to, you have to be selected by sports writers. Yeah. It's, it's and then so it's voted scary. on by sports writers too. Right? Yeah. The, the winner is voted by, but uh, when you're nominated, you're, you're voted by fans and coaches. But once you get to the actual ceremony, it's writers and, and uh, publicists that vote. So literally once you get there, yeah, you're nominated as a football player, but once you get there, it's almost like a popularity contest. Right. So then it comes to the question of Lene was kind of crucial in this uh, nomination in a bit, right? Oh, for sure. Because would it would would it have propelled the way that it did if that nomination didn't come from this huge blown out story about doing it for his grandmother, he's doing it for his girlfriend. So I, think, <laughs> I think the grandmother, uh, the grandmother would have alone put him into where he was, but because uh, Lene was part of it, that set him. Like there was no way he was. That was what him. tipped it. Yeah, because you no see them way. talk that about was a guarantee. it. Guarantee. You see them talk about it in the documentary. The Deadspin um, reporter Tim Burke says, "Yeah, he had an amazing, outstanding senior season." season but, but not, not one that would have qualified you for a Heisman implicate like saying the only reason he was even there was because this is a, this was a big story. So the fact that would he have been there without Lene? But again, as Ralph was saying, that's another layer was because Deadspin, those two fools were really writers who were casted off by sports illustrated ESPN and they wanted to get back at them and they had, what? No, yeah. So these two, that's their, that was their whole narrative, was to get to shame Sports Illustrated. Right. That is Deadspin.com's yeah. And so they, they never considered 
how it was going to flip this poor kid's life, or even with Bronai, they didn't they didn't consider those yeah, two at all. They said, right. "Oh well, we did we did the we did the the basic. We're going to wait a couple of days before we post the story, and if the family doesn't respond, we're going to have to post it because we want to get beat at it." But they never checked with either of them. They never had a conversation with Manti. Never had a conversation with Ronaldo, and decided to put the story out anyway. So they had so they had all these facts, but not all the right facts. Right. And then the whoa, did they not have the the facts of the story? They didn't well, talk they didn't to. Even they, they never talked to Manti or Ronaldo. They didn't even right. So at the interviews, uh, how it was going to spin into yeah. these concurrent interviews that he was going to be put on on all these questions, because now they're questioning if he's gay, because that wasn't the narrative. They just wanted right. to shit on um, ESPN and all the sports writers. That was right. the goal. And so they didn't anticipate that it would spiral out of that narrative and how the, right. the media spun so many things against them, which brings another layer to me was like, you have Renaya's family. So a little bit about Renaya's family, very big in football, but also big in the church. And what people didn't realize mm-hmm. that they were, grooming Naya to be young pastor yeah you know, just like his dad so I think they left that little detail out because if you look at the parallels and you look at from an LDS church because I grew up LDS and like yeah and all that pressure you have from faith and family number one he got the backs of Hawaii on him he had the congresswoman speaking on his behalf right rooting for him mm-hmm. if you think about the parallels with any Polynesian family the golden ticket in this in the in sports to get out to get money and the same kind of parallel was happening with Naya, but on a smaller scale mm. from his family. Because the Tuiasa Sokol family is a huge sports family. Yeah. A big family to be recognized. I think they kind of downplayed that, but I think they covered a little bit what Naya had talked about. And so those pressures from both sides was happening concurrently, right? So when I'm talking about layers, I'm talking about you got two people, take a side from the story, you got two people here that are going kind of through the same thing and acknowledging that they needed each other, right? So if you look at the story, it's like, well, yes, resonate from that. I can resonate from that, that pressure that comes into be. And so if you look at some of the interviews that um, Manti was having, like I think Katie Kirk was, uh, was interviewing him and she already had a list of questions. I said, man, mm-hmm. the family is not equipped to handle PR. So had they known or had that resource that would have spun the narrative a little bit different, those questions, and the vulnerability that Manti had is the mentality you have is do what you're saying, not as you're told. I'm going to follow everything to the T. Mm-hmm. So if you look at those interviews in contrast to what he's saying now, I was like, man, I wonder if his parents were up to opening that kind of worms again because he feels more vulnerable. He's more open. He's really telling the truth, how he really felt. It's really emotional. So to me, I was like, man, that is the same thing that kind of Naya was going through. And again, hats off to the directors because they're telling the same story from two different lenses that were happening in a situation that shouldn't have happened, right? And so to me, I was like, man, I can resonate with both. That is a very smart way how, um, if you look at the cuts from the one story to the end, that's the one thing that's consistent is why they reached out to each other. Like if you take away and magnify that a little bit, you're talking about two human beings coming together and saying that they need each other in certain ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, every detail from that is maybe different. But if you look at the pressure of that, I was like, let me ask you this. Would if he was a little bit more groomed? Because you're groomed when you're in Laie, when you're groomed from the LDS perspective, you're groomed to say certain things. So your program's a different way. Now, knowing what we know and going through what he's going through, 
would he have needed that if he, would he have needed Lene, so to speak? Because he wasn't talking to nobody else but one person, right? Mm-hmm. And she was the only one that could identify with what he was going through. And then he had Lene or Naya has this football background that he can resonate with, right? Do you think, do you think that he was allowed to date in high school? Or this was also convenient for Manti to have a, a not physical girlfriend there? I'm an LDS family and coming at the stature that he was at and the path that he was on, I, I would strongly, I mean, based on what the dad had said when they had found out about it and then he was kind of hands off because he didn't really know, that yeah. should kind of tell you a little insight about mm. where their mind is for where his trajectory was happening. And for good reason, shit, he was one of the best players coming out, right? right but he was on board with the two. I think it was also convenient for him because he could do all the football stuff still do all the family stuff and not have to explain about some girl. Right. But so, okay. Does that take away from the dad, Manti's dad asking him at five years old, what do you want to commit your life to? And then Manti saying football and then turning it into like this whole grooming process to be uh, a good church and football player. Like, should you not ask your kids what they want to be when they're five? No, of course you and should. Can, oh, you can ask, but should you commit to it? Is it was that what he should have done, or yeah, is it just old, that was just the circumstances? Five, and then you change, but which as a parent, you also have to be ready for him to change his mind at ten. And if he changes his yeah. mind at ten, it should be okay with you. You know, but I think like uh, he was saying in the documentary, he looked like he was afraid to ever change his mind. But also, he was also on board with playing football. Like he liked playing football. Which the art kids, they switch up. You know what I mean? You just very, have to be ready for your kids. Too, right? Very similar. They, he was right. playing football. He was, he was a quarterback. His family wanted him to do that, but that's not what he wanted to do. I believe Manti wanted to do it. He was just in that whole grooming process by default, especially when mm-hmm. you grow up into an LDS church. Like, there's a path laid out for you that you need to do X, Y, Z things in this certain timeline of your life. Right. That includes a mission that includes um, getting married in the temple and then you have kids and that's your life. Right. That's really kind of I'm kind of summarizing what the LDS life is. Manti was cool. Like everybody knew how good he was in football because he never went on his mission. He was never pressured to do it. He he never went on his mission. No, he didn't have to. Went to the NFL. (laughs) Either football, you're up here in football or you start in the LDS. It's going to be one or college and get a degree. Like that's. That's very similar to how I grew up, not realizing that we have choices and things like that. I think Manta mm-hmm. was good at what he's doing and he leaned into it. Not only that, you look at the Polynesian layer, when you're talking about the oldest, the firstborn, <laughs> and you got yeah. how many kids after you, there's a there's an unsaid pressure there. So when I say pressure, you're talking about the LDS pressure, you're talking about like years, yeah, a small community, you're representing almost the state. And then you add that layer, who is he going to turn to to talk about that? Who's going to resonate? She found that angle to hook them in to open up that conversation, which allowed that to happen for three years. This is a relation. This is a three-year relationship. Yeah. I, th- I think people, when they remember or think about this, they think it was just like messages online. Yeah. There are phone calls. They like talk. Yeah. They, they're at, for hours on the phone. Do you remember when you were in high school or 
early and you were talking to somebody you thought you loved on the phone, wasting your minutes, yeah. no, like you, running out. No, you hang up. Let's listen to each other. <laughs> yeah, you remember how dumb you Man, exactly. That's just what I'm saying. Yeah, Are we, there, we can see how this is happening. An impressionable young man that mm. only knows one way and has not been exposed to the world, probably let alone girls, right? So when I hear the statement about him saying the love of my life, I was like, I wonder if this guy was a virgin. Is he a virgin? Is he a virgin? Did sounds he like, sounds <laughs> like a virgin thing. I'm sure he was. And so I, I was telling Lance earlier, <laughs> I, I, it came out a little, a little rough, though. I was like, yo, he's from Laia. So Lance thought I was just basically talking about boys from Laia. But no. <laughs> it's like, you I'm can see about... why it happened to him, man. He's from <laughs> Laia. Boys from, <laughs> boys from Hawaii and Samoa, you know what I mean, that haven't been exposed to the world. If you get online at that time and some girl from California you never met was giving you interest, you were all in. You were in love. It didn't matter. Because you live on an island, uh, say you live in Samoa, even smaller, a village. You see the same girls your whole life. And so now this one girl from this, you know, California, it's California, starts showing interest in you. Of oh, course, yeah. you're and it wasn't just any girl catfishing. Easy. No, was, yeah. number one. Right, right. She was accomplished. She went. She went to Carson. I mean, she was born in Carson, Wasn't lived in Los Angeles, Carson. went to Stanford. Went to Stanford. I said she was someone with a Hawaiian name. Right. She was super light skinned and skinny. <laughs> so it's definitely guys something. gave her play. Right. Exactly. I mean, and I think also too was. Having that and and having that parallel to hook them in to understand that I know where you're coming from. As psychologically, mm-hmm. you think about that, and then you got this picture of this woman that is at almost at the level that you're at um, when you talk about college, right? And and in the same parallels, like Naya knew how to hook that or build that story and that image in his brain, and then on top of that, really hooking into it. And I didn't think Naya think it was going to get that far because I think he was already catching right. other people, but then became like really invested in the story. So when you're really invested in the story, like not even like three years, six months down the road, this nigga want to put a ring on it, you know? So right. like, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so people also don't understand that Naya wasn't just doing it to him. Like Naya had a right. list of people, you know, so she was super already experienced at doing it. And if Ronai had been older, an older person doing it to Manti, Ronai would have been a pedophile, pretty much, you know, because she would have been grooming him for something. Yeah, so. yeah, absolutely. I think also, too, is just understanding the need to have somebody to talk to. Right. Is, if you didn't really capture the, the, the essence of the story that's being told, like, we know what's happened, but... If you think about the core things of what was happening in one with Naya, two, what was happening in Manta, yeah, actually, if you, in parallel, the stories kind of linked together. So they, there's a lot of things that they identified with during that time. It just became, yes. so they were so much entwined with mm-hmm. the connection that they didn't care about what other people were saying or the verification of if she was real, because it was already deep in, it didn't matter. So they were both, as, in essence, living in a fantasy world. Right. Oh, totally. So it's like catfish is one way, but the actual reciprocation of both was Mm -hmm. very much real. Like, I feel like it's easy to line up all the things that, like, we have in common. If one of the people is customizing their profile to fit what they want the other person to see, 
So Manti's like, well, this, yeah, this is an Islander girl. She's like, she likes all the things I like. She goes to church. She wants to pray with me over text. Like, I love this. This is so, this is so what I need. This is perfect. Thank you, God. Let's pray, baby. You know, this is people. I was like, but what you left out was the sex talk that was happening because, I mean, I, you know, that was happening. You know, you got to tell me in three years that you wasn't, you know, say like those conversations. So like, let's keep it a buck, right? Let's keep it a buck and say like, right, right. It was a real online relationship. Like, mm-hmm. wasn't yeah. physical, but it was very much mental, right? This is right. why I tell people if you shop phone calls, I'd rather be shopping in person than online because I wanted to try <laughs> some things out. <laughs> and you, you know what? Really the tires? Was the the best friend, Manti's best friend? And I was like, wait, hold up. If you, you knew worst best friend ever. <laughs> Cause you know me, my friends, they freaking investigators. You know what I'm saying? They're gonna find <laughs> before they come back. Like they're gonna tell me what's the real. They're gonna investigate. Like nobody was mm. investigating, like this big star, like nobody on his family side was in his ear, or maybe they were, it just wasn't told. Like his friend literally friend says there, like, hey, I I Googled Lene Kekua car accident. Got that, no results. Right. I, but I didn't want to tell Manti because, you know, he was having such a good time. You asshole. You could have stopped all this from happening. But no, he was just like, well, I don't want to hurt my friend's like, feelings. I, I feel like some people knew and they probably would, but he was so um, enveloped in the connection. Mm. It didn't matter who was going to tell him otherwise. You mean to tell me if he had been told would he have changed that so what i'm saying is like damn that? even if someone told him then you think he still would have been like nah, have been nah, nah, was, have been nah shiloh saying, said she's real no it's, it's all nah, good. i think to a certain degree there's still a protection layer for that type mm. um where you didn't see any fault and it's really not a fault to him but that he did acknowledge versus all the interviews up until now was that he was really connected to this. Like, you can see the emotion. He cried about it. It was the, he claimed the mm. love of his life. Like, if the love of your life is telling you this, how many times all these other people are going to come tell you and you're still not going to listen to them? <laughs> That's a life skill. So, <laughs> it happened to be, like, online. He, he, like, he fell in love at 20, and no one was going to tell him anything different. Hey, that's human nature. You fall in love. You, you think you fall in love. Dumb and no one children. can tell you no different. Let me tell you. I'm gonna take I'm gonna just take everybody with me. And that's the problem because he was such a high profile athlete. You right. know, yeah. I was like to me, because in, in 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 real talk, if he wasn't the high profile athlete, this shit happens all the time. It just happened on a magnified scale. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I was like. You know, my side for a little context, I'm LGBTQ, so I know this shit, right? <laughs> so I know some, I've heard stories, I've seen stories of some of these girls, guys, catfishing and stuff. It, I just figured somebody's going to be dumb enough to fall for it. But in reality, if you look at the story itself, it was like, he was really in love with this. Like, he was in the, he was in the, he was really in love with the idea of being in love that somebody gets that's what the way I look at it. It wasn't necessarily mm. itself. It was the idea and the fantasy that somebody really knows me and connects with me and I can talk to them about anything. So you really psychologically are not going to disconnect from that because who the hell is yeah. you? Why would you want to? 
Right. <laughs> I wouldn't either if the bitch knew everything about me and she was right. that text every night and get that text every morning. You know? Every night. You, you also brought her back to life. You have that bond. <laughs> you have that connection. So your voice watching. brought her back to life. So I was watching this shit and I love Naya too. And I was sitting there and I was like, wait, I didn't know that he 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 brought her back. Like, see, that's what I was telling Lance. That's, like, that's a detail I was telling Lance. I did bro. not know. Like that's at that point, you went too far. Like you already went he too said, far. He point, said you he are wrong. Said he talked like, to her breathing for a month. This fool had to whisper on the interview too. He said, "Man, I was like, if you don't stop whispering in this interview, <laughs> look, I think we look back throughout both episodes and we just like, bro, you took a sign from somebody to not go to USC, but you didn't see none of the signs. Hey, that was real. That... Stop it. Stop it. That was real. To go to no, <sighs> but it's not only that she brought her back to life that she went to Diane Mira." And asked her to take this picture, and he had yeah. it. So this is how I'll tell you how psychologically he didn't want to let go. Even that was crazy. He knew that that shit wasn't right. You know what I'm right. saying? Yeah. Right. That's how you know how strong the connection was. That's how I was like, oh man, he was really in love. And I, I said, telling, uh, brought her back to life, made her take the picture to the extent. That's the part where I was like, all right, Naya, you was on some shit. That's nigga. yeah. So Just I was so that extra. Point, yeah. <laughs> at that point, I think we're not saw. Which is also Manti, where I thought he was wrong, because as soon as he started playing well, he was playing for her and his grandmother, and I think mm. he loved that, and that made him. He, his senior season was probably one of the single season, better seasons for a linebacker ever in uh, college, and he was loving it. And I think Ronaya didn't like it that she wasn't part of all part the. Of that. That's exactly, yeah. what yeah. That's exactly what happened. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. You see the like, tweets well, that they posted. I did that for him. I'm not getting recognized Yo, for it. No. That shit had me rolling when she yeah. says i started getting back into football i started texting him hey watch out for how those corners are gonna sit you got to be able to attack the middle and then they won the game because of a defensive effort and i was like Bitch, but, but like ralph said are you saying you did that like ralph said people don't understand they didn't go wild they, they, they didn't go into depth of how deep the Tuyasusopo family is in football like manu Tuyasusopo was Literally one of the best special teams players and running backs in the NFL. Uh, Marcus played for the Raiders. He was he broke so many records at UW. Uh, Titus alone was killing in football. Uh, Ronaya's dad, Titus. Not only that, but in volleyball, right? Like you have oh, yeah. aunts who are coaches. They were former UW players. Like yep, you had so many. Like that family is deep, not just in football, but in yes. all sports. sports. You know? And they're well respected in the collegiate world. You know, so I was like, so that's part of the pressure that. Of course. Nia was expected to follow as a quarterback or be the next great Tuyasa Sopo sports athlete uh, or something. Come on, Lance. Your, your uncle, Samo Samo, you already know that pressure. Stop playing. I'd say he told us, right, that we would all pick a sport, right? Okay, and we would see, be good in that sport. But, like, he know. never followed through and, like, really pressured us to do it. No, it wasn't the but, pressure. But you pressured yourself to do it because it's, like, same thing. Me and Mark were best friends. And the, the minute I played basketball in front of Samo Samo, it was pressure for me because it was like, man, you're really good. I'm gonna make you better. And now you're like, shit, now I gotta be better. <laughs> I just wanna yeah. be good. <laughs> I mean, that's a high bar, right? That's a high bar. by. And then it on top is. of that, your dad's a pastor and they're grooming you to take over, like to get, take his footsteps. Like, that's a big pressure to put on somebody into and not realizing that we all go through it as a Polynesian family, those pressures, those unsaid pressures. We just do is what we say and we do what we're supposed to do. And like right. 
everybody can resonate with that layer because it's sometimes at some point it doesn't become a choice. It just becomes this unsaid thing that you need to fulfill to feel validated by the family. Right. Right. How do we, how do we change that? How do we get rid of those pressures? Just communicate to the next generation that they're, that's not expected. I think it's a generational thing. Um, and I think uh, one of the things that our Polynesian community, even saw, I speak mainly from the Samoan side is because our, that generation before us is not groomed, and even my generation is not groomed to talk about one, feelings, two, what you want, because we know better. And mm-hmm. if you follow this path based on what they know, you just follow that. And so one of those things is a cultural thing is like, if you question it, then you're looked down upon if you even question. So one of the things, if you want to tackle that is just, and I'm not a parent, so to speak, but I raised some kids, is... Uh, getting the kids to talk more about what they want, where they're at, even aside from that, who they are. And a lot of them struggle later on when they disconnect from that path that you gave them. Now you're wondering, like, why are they messed up? But are they really messed up? That's a choice. That's a different choice from yours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're not really messed just up. Just because it's different than what you wanted them to do right. doesn't necessarily mean they're messing up. That might just be their path, right. what they want to do. And sometimes parents won't know their true gifts that they're given, whether it be in the arts or outside of what's in front of them. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's very much Naya because Naya is very much an accomplished um, musician and makeup artist. And right. those things would have been born because they were never going to be embraced in the first place. So you're going to act out and do other shit where other people connect with you. <laughs> exactly. How are you? How was Naya talks about? well, you want to be a woman, so just go be a woman. And then she was able to go to American Samoa and really embrace becoming her true self. But how how does not being able to do that as a child kind of create these things where you you become a catfish? Because this is the only way I can really live how I feel I should be accepted. Like, is it because of the church and like the home that things like this is happening in the first place everything is westernized right when you look at everything that's categorized Mm -hmm. prior to Samoan or even polynesians landing on u.s soil um you think about malas or even just even being a woman and transgender it's not even an issue in Samoa until we became more westernized so with that said once you get you involved religion into that it kind of puts you in certain categories that you need to do certain things so inside you feel a certain way and you need to express these things and so in the interim of that even in gay life it suppresses you from being your true self Mm -hmm. i kind of went through this myself was like look i'm i'm a fucking swiss army knife i know that now but there was a period in time that i followed everything that they followed and the obedient son and literally because that's just the thing that you're supposed to do. And the thing is, especially coming from an LDS family, and I don't know how they do this mostly in Christian, is that even if you act out, and what's the crazy thing is that my mom knew this before because she used to dress me up like a little girl and dance in front of big crowds, but it was not a thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're so programmed mm, to yep. be a certain way, when in reality, if you de-scope that and you just say, and some parents are not just equipped to how to deal. That's really what it comes down to. They can go and watch a, a drag show and be all good, but it's just as long as it's not in my family. Mm, Especially right. if I'm the pastor. 
And my dad was a bishop. Let's be clear. PK? <laughs> Let's be sure. My dad's a bishop of the LES church, was a bishop. So I know this front to back. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, and my dad was IG. And so to me, I was like, oh, I can't do any of that. I can't do any of that for me. You know, it's like not even talking about the parents because of where they stand. I'm not going to disrespect that. And so Renaya had to came to the crossroads of making things right. And it's going to come out because now it's your family name. You're going to have to own it. You're going to have to face it. But if we go back and talk about those connections from the bottom, I really can't tell you because some people are conservative by nature, right? They're conservative, they're, they're thoughts, and, and they're Christian, they're really straight-laced. So they're not equipped to learn, know how to deal with that. Like even to this day, you know, I have a couple of friends that come to me that say, I think my son is gay. And I said, well, get, a, get away from the fact that you think he is. Why don't you just embrace the gifts that he has? You know, I think that's a different conversation. And, then, and one of them is his son's like maybe nine, 10, is really flamboyant, but is a master acting, singing, dancing, crap. Hey. You missed that? You missed the whole hit. <laughs> yeah. They're going to be, as, and I tell this even to my own siblings, if you guys don't embrace their gifts early on and try not to mold them in what you think they should be or in, mold them into what you would have wished you want to be, you miss out on the gifts that they're blessed with. And then you miss out that they could be freaking geniuses at what they do, but you wasted this whole time not even embracing it. <laughs> you know, you're just right. worried if they're gay. Yeah, like can't get past that because you're so <laughs> worried about their family name. You're worried about not bringing shame like, to your family. Like that's pretty evident in in Renaya, you know, and how he grew up. And the, the the sad thing about it is that a lot of them won't come to you know come to that understanding because this that respect value is embedded in us that we won't deal with it until later in life when we have served our duties to our family. Does that make sense? No, yeah. We won't get it until later? Yeah. So, like uh, until yeah. like we live the what our family had to go through and right. what they're Other seeing? The parents are more open. So I feel like my generation now is not at that age mm. where they're a little bit more open. They're talking about it. It's, um, and some of them are still straight laced. But it, it's kind of nice to hear some of my friends that come to me and talk to me about it. And I said, why don't you work on your relationship and your connection with your son or daughter? And if you know this, you know it. Like, I don't have to tell you if you know it. You know it. <laughs> it's, like, it's up to you to figure out if you, what you want to do with it. You're going to embrace it. And, the, and if you have rules, let the rules be known. But don't try not to um, make them feel like they're any less than because that's all they mm. Like, that's truly who they are. Because... If you think about it later in life, and I've done this statistic either in LA and even in Utah, that the Polynesian gay community probably has the highest suicide rate in the last seven, eight years. High, yeah. really high, and off of just coming out or not being able to come out. And it's probably more prevalent here because per capita in Utah has the most Polynesian um, population. So that statistic is going to be higher just based on um, population overall. So per capita, we probably have the highest gay community, but a lot of them are even still like, even at this age, and I came out here and I'm more like open and, you know, what's up, nigga, whatever. But <laughs> at the same time, um, they're so forced to be in this box. And a lot of them don't like me out here because <laughs> I'm so free and I'm like, I'm so confident in who I am. And but it took They me wish they could. Yeah, bitch, they wish they would. And it's at the same time, but what I'm saying is, it's like, it's the deprogramization of um, 
that belief that everybody is one thing. And even if you're not gay, like even if you're not a sports person, like my brother's, my oldest brother is a basketball dude, super tall, has all these kids. None of them have done basketball, but they're all skilled in the creative arts, like his wife that passed away. She was a singer. And then one of them's performing at Disney, the other one's an actor. They're all in the arts. So he embraced that. And I was like, well, you got your last one. He's going to play basketball. You know, so, <laughs> so I think he's like, he's playing football and stuff. You get one. You get one. You know, it's like, but at the same time, too, it's, I think it's also recognizing that um, different gifts for different kids. Um, and, and I know Renaya's uh, siblings and stuff, too. I think he's just a use case, right? I look at it as a use case, like overall, when you think of the family dynamic, is really understanding that everybody's going to be different, especially if you're in America, like, and they're exposed to so many different things now, especially digital age, they're going to want to be whatever they want to be. Mm-hmm. You know, so like either you catch on to their wavelength, especially this generation, or you're going to be left out, you know, so I think it's, it's a hard conversation to have because that's embedded Polynesian, um, um, what do you call that, um, values, you know, those, those exactly embedded, like, no matter what generation you get this, that element of that value still carries on. In America, it's your first kid is always your project kid. In Samoa, growing up, your first kid is the kid that's going to take care of the rest of the family. It doesn't matter what he's going to want to do, he or she's going to want to do. That oldest kid is, has the responsibility of making sure all the other kids get to do what they want to do in their life. Yeah, yeah, uh, I, I agree with that. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand. What's it like being the oldest? <laughs> I'm not the oldest. I'm the. I'm, I'm pretty much almost the youngest. But growing up in Samoa, like you can, all my friends were like that. Like. You would say, I'd be like, hey, that's your dad, your mom? And says, no, that's my oldest brother or sister. Like, <laughs> oh, that's weird. Why? Because they pretty much take care of you like your parents. It's like, that's, they've raised all of us. So what did your parents do? Work. <laughs> all right, I guess. Ah, uh, gotcha. Okay. But see, I'm half Filipino. So growing up in Samoa, half Filipino, like I had so much freedom that all these other kids didn't have. It was funny to, well, it wasn't funny. It was sad because I like, I'd be doing things and then they'd be like, oh, we can't go. Why can't you go? I got to go home and go to church. I got to go sound practice. Sucks for you. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> yeah. So in, in raising your, in raising the rest of your family and being one of, wait, did you say that you were the raiser for your family for us? Hell no. <laughs> you were the, the younger. One, I was the one that got to run around rampant, which is funny because I'm older than both of you by. Cause you were all, cause they were all girls tried. and you were the only boy. Right. And then I, I had my boy cousins who stayed and they looked out for me, but I was literally like, and so that's another thing. Uh, now it's just even if so if you're transgender if you're the older if you're a mala and you're the oldest in the family or you're a girl you you don't get the same freedom as a boy I was at, at 12 years old I was coming home at like 2 in the morning obviously I was at my ne- next door neighbor's house playing video games but still it was like where you at next door okay cool And but my sisters was like where you at come home now and it's like it's like 10 you know so that's, that's just that's the, that's the way it was yeah and then by the time I was in high school it was like I'd be out like even on weekdays, school days, I'd be out like till four in the morning. I play football, I play baseball, basketball. And then uh, again, we're half Filipino. So all my sisters, they didn't have as much of restrictions as regular Samoan girls back then. But like the girls we were trying to talk to, it was like they had to sneak out like at seven in the evening. Like they literally had to leave at that because they were supposed to be in bed or doing fit hours or something like that. So. Cultural wise, yeah. it's there's so many restraints on you as a child. 
it's and depending on which child you are, the golden child, the one that takes care of everybody, the little wallet one, you know what I mean? So so are we are we just saying that it was a generational thing and now it's changing and we just have to bit. wait for it? It's, it's to changing a little bit. Transition over. But because our culture is so strong, uh, it's you're having problems trying to change things because as younger, like you guys, I went through it. And now as younger people in the generation, for you guys, you're always going to be looked at like we were as Coco Lake Kiki if you're trying to change something. Like, why are you trying to change it? Because you want to do something like cheeky, you know what I mean? Like, you know what yeah, I mean? That's the mindset. Stop being traumatized, you weirdo. Right. But it's always like, oh, it's because you want to go and do something nasty, or you want to go do something illegal, or and that's the only reason you're challenging these old narratives. And uh, yeah, so it's hard. I mean, but it's changing with the help of people like you two. You know what I mean? And the younger generation. Oh, are you Forest? Forty-two. You talking to us like we little kids. I'm the same age as you, bro. Oh, see, you look you see, you look like you 30, so <laughs> we come from the same era, bro. All right, then me and you are from the same era. Lance a little younger than us. <laughs> Wait, no. Class of 98. Let me in. 98? Yeah, exactly. Class of 98. Yeah. Same, same. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, so when me and Ralph growing up, it was it's it's tougher. It was tougher for us back then to try to get things across because it was always like just be quiet because you don't know yeah. what you're talking about. You're just being cheeky because you know what I mean? You 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 want something from this. It's like, no, I just don't want to be, you know what I mean, held back yeah. by something that is nonsense. There's a better way, guys. Right. There is no better way. There is like our said, way. Uh, the introduction to religion and to the culture really changed things around and really Talk put about a it. lot more restrictions on us. Like, I mean... Talk about our culture before and then... Right. And then... Like, it- when religion came, they put clothes on us. You know what Damn. I mean? Before that, it was like, why were you embarrassed to to be? I mean, it's not like we were always like fully naked, but we weren't fully clothed like we were. But then missionaries came to the islands and were like, it was oh. unsightly right. to see so many right. penises and breasts out. Right, like this put is some clothes on. Uncivilized, like no, this is uncivilized. More civilization. You know what I mean? Right. And with we the had coast, civilization. Right. And with the yeah. coast, they also brought disease. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, where'd you grow up at? I should have grew up over there. <laughs> they brought disease. They brought sin. They I brought cholesterol. <laughs> you know what else they brought? They brought gout. I don't have gout, but... <laughs> hey, gout is the worst. We need to work together to eliminate that. No, but there's a lot of people uh, that are helping with it. Uh, we know a lot of them. Uh, mm-hmm. one of them in our field right now is a really close friend of mine, Doris. Uh, so shout out, bro. Uh, girl woke. Oh, the, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's my girl. Yeah. So she's, uh, she's doing great work trying to help, um, a lot of it with the, the younger girls. Just, girl woke. That's what she's doing, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, we did a lot of uh, community work when I was in the Bay Area. I lived there for nice. Yeah, she well, she's from Modesto, so right. Uh, also, uh, Des Ali and her sisters, the Ali sisters out in Carson, they're yeah. doing a lot with her game. Hey, you know I mean? her game. Uh, who's actually the person that I get this text at like six in the evening last night? It's like, are you about to watch this documentary? It's about to drop. <laughs> I, like, I need your, I, you know, I need you to, I need your review before I watch it. So I'm gonna wait for your review. I was like, Des, what documentary are you talking about? She's like, the man I tell. I was like, all right, I'm gonna watch. I'm gonna give you my review about it. So she's watching it right now. Nice. But yeah, I, I mean, you can listen to this. Like, even Erod, there's you know all these creators, content creators, uh, 
all these business owners that are trying to help change the culture the right way, not take away from it, but just take out some of the things that are outdated. Yeah. But there's, but just like anything else, we're always going to have opposition from the people who are benefiting from these cultural norms. Yeah, not only so, that, I think it's a it's an opportunity to learn from the situation. Yes. So you're going to mm-hmm. see a lot of either podcasts or content creators, they're going to come from a different perspective because they're already kind of married to that. And I said, you really have to look at the story, like what's happening here. Right. Past that, this shit happened like 10 years ago. Right. <laughs> learning from Let's this. just, what did we learn from this? Right. Okay. right. Don't get yeah. too caught up in the details. No, because there's going to be people right now that are gonna wanna, they're going to want to tell their personal story of how they knew Ronaya or how they knew Manta and how, mm-hmm. you know I mean, their personal input into any story. And that's, oh, that's well, also Let me put that out there because um, even with Manti and coming from like, yeah, being a small community and everybody's kind of rooting for me from Hawaii and stuff like I am pretty sure that, and then I've heard this from different people from Laia have turned their backs on him. I bet. So on that, on the, the Teo family? Well, just on him when shit didn't go right, right? And to me, the other layer of this is the toxicity in the Polynesian community, right? So when you're talking about when people don't want to know who Naya is because they want to be associated with someone who made a mistake on a high scale. So when I say I've talked to people from Laia that around that time, who were pretty much kind of like done with him. I'm like, but you were never with him. So when I when I correlate um, Manti's um, forgiveness and what he's talking about in regards to Naya and what he said about who he was before and who he was after, that's all encompassing, not just Naya. That had to do with the media, that had to do with Notre Dame, that had to do with the NFL, that had to do with like, you know, so I was like, so he's he's in a better place. I took the, the forgiveness comment not just at Naya but at everybody else who also turned their back on him yeah that was a lot of that was a lot of what that last paragraph was it's like don't be hurt by all these people that were making fun of you still treat everybody like you know their family and and it's love even though he's and he's breaking down when he's saying this even though Someone said they wanted to take a picture with me and they made fun of me. Next time someone asked me to take a picture, I'm still going to take a picture. Just like, <laughs> damn. You already know that's, that's an amazing testament to his character. Right? Yeah. True. Because true. at the end of the day, like, to me, like, it, on both sides what was happening, at the magnitude I was happening, and if you weren't mentally strong or whatever, I would have off myself. Like, damn, you didn't mess damn, up yeah. my whole life. Yeah. Like, cost me millions or, you know, my my family, this Christian family, who my dad was a pastor, like on both sides, it was an opportunity. And even Gail King asked this in the CBS morning interview. She was like, mentally, where were you? And then did you feel like you wanted to kill yourself? And he acknowledged that, that he, it was a very real thing with mental thoughts and things like that. And I was oh, like, the re- recent interview? Yeah, so um, Tony went to New York and did the CBS morning. So I posted it on my story. Um, just a clip of the interview. It's an eight-minute interview, and Gail King and the panel is asking him, but I only took the excerpt of when she's asking him, like, how are you doing? So he talks about his wife. He's happy. Like, you can tell the energy is different. He's vulnerable. He's not restricted to... Yeah. He jumped wife. out with that wife real quick, I feel oh. like. He was like, yep, good, married, happily, got kids. I was like, oh, I was clapping. relax, bro. In a situation like that, for somebody of his magnitude who probably lost him even in the first three years, like he's mentally messed up from performing, 
then I would have off myself. I was like, man, because I ain't got nothing else. Like, really and honestly, like, his blessing came way after. Right. You know? So it was like, to me, that was like, man, I really, I'm still rooting for him because a lot of people who were even in his own camp were turning his back on him. That's what he's saying, but he's not seeing it in detail. But I was like, from mm-hmm. what I've heard from people around like, yeah, they, they didn't want nothing to do with him or his family. You know what I'm That's saying? I was like, well, one of them like ratted him out. I like, whoever sent that tip right. to Deadspin. And uh, I Chris, and I'm all trying to like, do I know a Chris in the North Shore? <laughs> True, born and raised like yeah, boy. My name is Chris. <laughs> Which also speaks to the strength of our culture because uh, his sense of duty to like everybody else around him mm. is what kept him alive. Yeah. You know, what I mean, just being out there, like I'm pretty sure he had thoughts of killing himself, but because he was thinking about his parents and hopefully not Lene, <laughs> but you know, what I mean, thinking about his family and like the people around him that wouldn't benefit from him killing himself that's what kept him alive really yeah no that's that's very true because yeah. at the same time too he did have people who were um in his corner yeah uh, held them down for that long even the aftermath right right i was like man that mental performance because i think i don't know if you guys follow justin uh um, yeah because yeah. he played baseball for america so i'm not sure yeah i grew up with him and his dad and stuff so i know justin very well and so for me, I would, <clears throat> I wanted to go listen to his podcast because I wanted to see from a sports psychologist the impact that it had on Manti in the NFL, right? Because we that shift from when he made those three years is like, dude, like, man, like the effects of that mental capacity to perform in any capacity, it, it would affect you um, physically. I wanted to hear his perspective on um what he thought of the performance aspect of that psychology because you've seen it he spoke on it a little bit and mm-hmm. i was like but then at much of it is because he was performing at a high level right during the relationship and then it's mm-hmm. just right because now you add Ooh. all these other things and i was like man i really wouldn't want to know from an actual sports psychologist you know me i'm a data guy i love analytics and anything shit like that so i like show me the numbers (laughs) and so yeah i just thought that um even with that psychology too it's like well if justin's gonna speak on it would he know how to speak on the side of naya's side you know i was like i feel like there should be like another Mm. voice that kind of which is hence why i think for him it'd be too professional just because he's a sports psychologist so i don't know if like him speaking on naya's side would like how you said i don't know how it would come up i mean yeah. talking about one sided like there yeah. has to be like a just like the way the story is told there has to be two perspectives right. to kind of bounce off of if what when why you know um, i was not ready for dr phil to sit down i but, didn't know that they really have to put that on the back. <laughs> so i watched that dr phil interview when renaya was on and this is the shit I was talking about, like how much Renaya was going through that, because I was like, wait, would any other psychologist that's not on TV network would have put Naya through what he needed to do in the voice analysis? Why would you right. do that? And then you have him out on, in the public with his family? Like, that's the most vulnerable place you can put any Samoan family is when they're not totally equipped it's- to, to um, talk about that, because I said, 
Dr. Phil, you a piece of shit because you know what? <laughs> because a real psychiatrist, like if this is real life stuff, this is just happening on TV, like mm-hmm. a real psychiatrist in my mind would not have done the things that he's done. It was all for TV. And right. I said, yeah, for sure. okay, because the real psychiatrist would have said, if you acknowledge that you would have done that, then why would I need you to go do a voice analysis? That's for TV. That's all smoke and mirrors, my bro. And I said, so to me, that's mentally draining. And that's something that's very embarrassing to reenact because you already have, yes. a, you have the, you, so I'm looking at Naya's parents, like, damn, like they got to go through him going behind, like he got to get into character. And so they really painted, Dr. Phil really painted him as this actor in this, this show. Yes. in right. three, like, according to your analysis, that's what it appears. But in reality, to have to reenact that, that's fucked up to me. Because in reality, like a real psychiatrist would have tried to be healing because I was like, all you're doing is pinpointing that he already admitted that he is already doing this. Why would you put well, his family through this? When when Naya talks about the interviews that happened when she was with Dr. Phil, when Manti went on, was it Katie Couric, like a daytime show with his parents and his dad had to you know, remind him that he loved him. Uh, that, and then Manti releases the voicemails of this voice that sounds female. All these, I love you, have a good night. And Nio's like, bro, why would you do that? Because now, in order for me to protect you, I have to go and show, she says, validate it. So that, and then that leads to the Dr. Phil excerpt of the, the documentary that. where he's like, watching that I brought in some, the high level audio experts and they said, there's no way this voice is you. You have to show us how you do it. That is definitely some four TV rating shit. Yeah. That's, that's not entire, helpful. Dr. Phil was at the height of his ratings on that network. Mm-hmm. So then you're playing into the media now. You're playing into it instead of, really taking part two Polynesian kids, impressionable kids, healing the process, but you're really kind of destroying them even mentally. Like the media played a big part in Manti's mental state, even after even Naya's. I think Naya kind of knew what was coming because he was kind of reaping the result of what he had did or she had did, mm-hmm. but Manti wasn't ready. So if you look at the Katie Kirk interview and how he's actually, he's kind of saying what needs to be said so quickly without yeah. even processing what the hell he was going through. It was so quick just to get the story out because his ties to Notre Dame and his ties to the draft and NFL, mm-hmm. like everybody wanted the story without Well he was his out. draft his draft like position was slipping the more this turned into a big story and kept going. So he my was trying to protect I, his money. I my heart dropped when I watched that and his family's watching the first draft like like let's just acknowledge that you know, it really affected his overall, the, the scale of his whole life, you mm-hmm. know, not just football and his money, you know, and I'm looking at it and I'm like, damn, that my, my heart dropped when I didn't see him get called on the first draft when he was already slated to be in the first draft, you yeah. know, first like, was a for sure first rounder. And we looked at his career, like earnings on spot rack for eight years. He made $10 million over his whole career, man, if he would have been a first round pick, he would have got 10 mil his first contract. Like it would have it would have been a huge difference in the way him and his family's lives and the way they connect with others. So it was to show that you pick the right woman, you make the right money. 
He said he need to find a drama-free, <laughs> occasionally you, physical. You that's in compliance and that can show up at the interviews and right. your, you know what I mean? Someone you can put your arm around, you know. That sounds very beardy. That's that's not like a real <laughs> you just I mean, need someone hey, there to I mean to it, look the, good the, for the timing of it all was just it, it sucked, man. The timing of it all sucked because it was couldn't it have done like after the draft? <laughs> you know what I mean? Couldn't even um, come after the draft. Your money would have been secure. And so the thing that was hard for him was that he was trying to control a narrative without a PR person at the scale that he was at during the time that everything was happening. So he's right. literally having to fend for himself in the public without any guidance of what to say. Yeah, his agent no. sucked ass. His agent, I blame his agent. Whoever That's the agent, agent was, was, whoever was his camp was like yep. not protecting him in a way. Like that agent just kind of hit him. But I was like, bro, if he's a ten million dollar nugget, I would have hired three <laughs> publicists. <laughs> hired three publicists. I would have uh, hired Olivia Pope in this motherfucker. Like, you ain't you ain't getting past this because I'm gonna change the narrative and control that, right? Well, not even that, man. If I was really like the other two dudes that put out the sport or uh, the story, oh uh, man, I would have been like, hey, look, I can either put it out today or I can put it out after the draft. What's it worth to you? Extortion. <laughs> right. Or, yeah, exactly. Or you can pay me money to shut the hell up. Right. How about the story? And, and that's, never what, comes that, out. that's what your PR is there for to make those conversations, to have those conversations with those people. Because right. the minute someone would have called, a good PR agent would have been talking to them. Right. Yeah, they've been talking to Deadspin instead of they prob yeah exactly they probably would have called Deadspin if they knew right. Deadspin had most of the story right. already. Deadspin went away empty-handed. I definitely believe that they were going to put something and there was money on it and people probably want to pay for the story. Or like I feel like there's money involved there. Mm. They probably use it all because they look broke as shit on the show. I'll tell you that. <laughs> they only have eight employees well, at the time. I think it's... Oh, shit, it's if I had a startup like that, I'm going to secure the bag. You better pay me one million to shut the hell up. Yeah. <laughs> you know? We've been that easy. But they, they also look, will... they look just as uh, like fame-hungry when they were talking about the stories. Like, Oh no, we had to be out there. We had to get out there, put it out first. We had to shave ESPN. We had to shave sports and say after okay. all that work, and you're gonna walk away empty like that. You stupid. Right. Ooh. <laughs> after all oh, that damn. Work, doing all that private investigation, and you couldn't leverage that for money, you were more about your face. No. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you need to protect something. journalism, guys. Right. You you uh, run, <laughs> run say get the money. You you did all that research. You're not getting paid for it. Nah. I was like, yeah, if I already knew this story was going to be big and I knew something like that, I said, man, I would have leveraged this shit big time. If you, if you if have was... a story on a future millionaire, yeah, nah. you not wait for him to get the bag and then If If I'm, do mental, it? I'm mad as shit, I'm like, y'all ruined my life for free? That's crazy. You would have held That's the story crazy. until after he got his contract signed? Oh, for sure. He they... would have been a first-round pick. You're not only able to leverage Manti. Sorry if you're listening. Anybody of Manti's family listen to this? This is not what I would have done personally. But theoretically, if you waited wait theoretically, if you waited till after, you not only are able to leverage Manti, you're able to leverage the league, you're able to leverage uh, ESPN, all these other sports publications. Now you're like, yo, I've got this story. How much do you want? You know what I mean? Right. 
And I think at that time, I was like, you guys was trying to be TMZ at that time because TMZ was still trying was, to come out the wing. I was just about to say, if TMZ was established, they would have been they rich. That up. <laughs> Deadspin <laughs> was trying to be the TMZ During breakers. Yeah. Right. I was no. like, Deadspin, I was like, you're, you're sight dead now. Like, it's exactly. like, you couldn't even write off that momentum. Let's just say that. Now you don't know that. <laughs> right. So next that was, <laughs> one of the man, the, one of the biggest stories of, I guess that decade. Jeez, that's crazy. Decade, like, right. Um, yeah, that was that's been the craziest story, and now we're. I mean, just starting everybody stop hating Lance Armstrong. You know what I mean? Yo, you could see how he was like, and this is the the kid that does everything perfectly. Yes, sir. No, ma'am. Just goes to church. Just loves football. Does all this. Sense of man. Bro, you could. Sorry, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> you can see how uh, unbelievably hurt he was that people were like, he's one of the most hated yes. sports people. When oh, he's like, I read this article where it said the most hated athletes in the world, Tiger Woods, Lance Armstrong. Remember what and he said? Me? He said, what yeah. am I even doing said, in that what article? What am I doing on that list? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's Can you imagine if you tried to do everything perfectly and the I think, world hated you? I think you that was the most hurt he was fake? on the in the, in the, yeah, in the documentary. Yeah. That was the most hurt he was. Do you recall what, what Lance Armstrong was going through to be on that list around that time? He had one. Uh, he was uh, doping. Uh, he got yeah. his. He but got he had his, one, uh, like, Tour de France. Was it like three or four Tour de France's in a row? And then they find out that, and then they had the whole. Uh, uh, what was his? Uh, I forgot what Live his strong. like campaign was. Oh, yeah, right. Live strong. Live strong. He had all the wristbands and the cancer yep, stuff. Yep. You know what I mean? I mean, my man lost one testicle. Uh, and they were like, he lost a testicle and he's still winning these Tour de France. Come to find out, my man's doping before every Tour de France. <laughs> he's taking steroids. <laughs> right. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, that's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Because no story. one cared about that anymore because no. Manti was a fake who created a fake girlfriend. Right. Which is crazy. Because. He, uh, Lance Armstrong defrauded like two countries, two like the world. The world. Manti just had a fake girlfriend. That's crazy. <laughs> that he didn't even know right. about. Okay, but there, therein comes the the responsibility of Manti because he finds out that Lene just had to go into witness protection for a couple weeks during the season, <laughs> and she is back now. She is back. Listen to my voice. Listen to my voice. It's me. Is what she tells Manti. Oh, Manti hangs up the phone. So he knows now, and he goes to the Heisman ceremony, and he's answering questions like it's still, you know, before my girlfriend passed, I really I talked to my coach, and he really helped me through it. He's still playing up that story. So how much responsibility? Because when you think maybe, back on it, maybe not he's the, the one question. that got duped. Like, right. he doesn't get enough of the blame for this continuing True. to go on. But for him, like I understood when he said it's like, well, what did everybody expect me to do? Just be like at the interview, oh well, you know, before I accept this, lean uh, into your grandma instead, (laughs) right? So that's mentioning your fake girlfriend who you know is alive again. But like like I said, said, he plays stupid. Maybe, but he seems stupid. (laughs) Like maybe for a little bit, he was really liking the attention. That's and that's bad part. That's human nature. You know what I mean? Like, you know what? You brought up a good point because to a certain, I felt like in a certain way, he was kind of complicit in the story. Yes. Um, and building that up to mm-hmm. build up where he was. Right. 
Um, and I'm not saying that he would have wanted that, but that definitely propelled you to higher levels in terms of your overall stature and how people viewed you. And so to me, I was like, well, if that's the case, then you needed Lene to keep that shit up, right? No. Like, yeah. So my, my, my take on it is a little different. It's like, so my man needed something, like he was having so much uh, trouble at Notre Dame, like being homesick and not fitting in. You know, he's a, a, a Mormon kid um, at a Catholic school. You know what I mean? And the restrictions there are, are tough too, just like they are at BYU. But, you know, he's far away from home. And so now he has something to actually put his all into to play for. You know what I mean? He didn't have anything to play for, really, because he was so just in his own thoughts, being stuck out there, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Not fitting in. And then all of a sudden now, I have something to play for. And he just he, he tore it up. He like, talked about how his mind was clear when he played after they, exactly. they, they he found out they passed. That's what he needed so he mm. could play better. He held on to that. Right. I, I don't think he cared about the fame, like being – at interviews, but the fact that now he could just be like, you know what, I'm just gonna be me. I'm gonna play ball now, and then Which have like the point yeah. of Justin's psychology. Was yeah. it could it have been a prerequisite to perform higher with mm -hmm. that in mind? You know what I'm right. saying? Now, if you didn't strip all of that, you didn't have that. Would you have performed the same way, or did you need that extra thing? Like, I think he psychologically, that. you attached yourself to something that would have propelled you even higher, not for notoriety. But performance-wise, performance yeah. Because uh, he was killing it his senior year. Right? Yeah. Like, he was already killing it. He was. he was all right his junior year. He broke out his junior year. But, like, you could still tell he still had a lot to learn. But, like, the jump he made from his junior year to senior year was incredible. I mean, and the expectations he already had were so lofty coming in as a freshman. Um, I watched the first game. That first hit he ever got, that was – I mean, I was excited because he you could already tell he was going to be something great. And then going into a senior year, just having something to something bigger than you now. So now it's like all the pressure's off. Like, well, that's bigger than football, but mm -hmm. I'm gonna use that and right. play for that. You know, Which I mean, and I have a the reason contrast to of not having that anymore at the time that you were performing at your highest level with that right. in mind. Then you three years and three to four years later, you're in the NFL and you don't have that big reason that you're working for. Now right. you're mentally like. Um, all over the place so now it's affecting you mentally and then now your performance so to me it was like man damn now why you couldn't just let him have that and let him be successful Nigga, right. you know what right. I'm saying? <laughs> he could have been the next junior show but going to not going to the nfl one you don't have you've already made it what else do you have to prove what are you holding on to now performance wise right. you've made it to the nfl two you have to deal with everybody in san diego because Niles from California, he's from Carson. Now you're gonna see people who are actually connected to the story. And then in San Diego, it's like you know, NFL dudes, dudes, dudes are dudes are rough, man. I'm pretty sure you heard some rough shit in the locker room. You know what I mean? And like you said, uh, as soon as he walked into the cafeteria during the draft process, he said he turned in. Things went quiet. He had to eat by himself the whole time. They had to move him from the for draft the rest room. of the time. Yeah. yeah, before he got drafted. So, I mean. If not waited, I mean, potentially you could have seen a Hall of Fame linebacker. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. No joke. You could have been a, you know, holding Guys. on. I'm telling you, psychologically, with that in his mind, like, you know, I mean, his girlfriend died, his grandma died, 
You know what I mean? And so now he has to really prove to them that uh, all the conversations he had with them, them telling him he was good, he has to keep that while he's playing. He has to prove to them that it wasn't all for nothing. And now after everything happened, psychologically, it's like, well, what do I have to play for now? You know? Which goes, which proves the point of this golden ticket from the family side. When you make it all the way, it's like, okay, and then when you get there to the destination, can I just be regular? Like, can I just be regular now? Now I don't have right. to live up to this snap. Yeah. Like, right. In reality, if you're still in the NFL, you're still getting paid, you're still successful in my mind. Yeah. Right? You're just not at the level that yeah. he was expecting you to be. But now you regular mm. like all the NFL players. Like, can he be regular now? I was like, so where does the buck stop? It has to stop with him. But in reality, like, yeah, or Notre Dame and stuff were already kind of targeting him. And like, what did you expect him to do? Like, he's in the NFL. He's fulfilled everything that he's got to do. And he's living off of that. I mean, right. I mean, at a high level. But at the same time, too, I was like, can he just be regular and be like the other football players and play? Like, he's always yeah. held to this standard. Like, even after all his BS. Right. <laughs> We talk about that, at like dra- how the draft is just expectations. How much expectations are you going to be saddled with because of oh, how high sure. a pick a team had to, to take sure. you? So him going in the second round right. to the to Chargers is a lot That's less. That's still high. That's still, That's still expect- high. So the True. second round is still high. Expectations are even higher now because you're playing in San Diego where your Polynesian culture is so predominant, like, all around uh, San Diego. So now you're playing in front of your people. You're playing somewhere. We where expected a lot. We didn't get it. You're playing somewhere where possibly the best linebacker ever in the NFL played, who was Polynesian, who's beloved by his community. Junior Chow mm-hmm. is still, you, you go anywhere in San Diego. Junior Chow is loved by everybody in San Diego. Mm-hmm. So him being Samoan, going there and having, knowing all that, that's a lot of pressure. And people there's expect that in the NFL right now. Who, uh, like, if you look at their families, I want to see how they turn out. Like, I don't know Tua personally, but if you saw his father on draft day, did not look happy at all. <laughs> Tua's father did not look happy at all. You go back and look at Going like, fifth to the Dolphins? I, I don't know what it was, but, yeah, I mean, and uh, the story is, like, he was always, like, Tua was kind of, like, Guess they should have gone last year. His dad, his dad was, like, super, uh, like, same thing like uh, Manti's dad, like, football since he was little. Tua's disposition, though, is a lot more. It's a lot better than Manti's because you can see him. He's real open when his interviews. He's real playful. You know what I mean? He's cool. Uh, and then the other kid is Penny. No. Because I know Penny's dad personally. Uh, Gabe loves his kids, man. Gabe would do anything for his kids. So him putting them, like, even moving the, from American Samoa and taking his kids back to the United States was all about his kids who wanted to play football. I know they didn't want to leave American Samoa, but Gabe taking them and leaving them. Gabe's always been about his kids. So just the contrast between the two families, we'll see how both kids are going to do in the in the league. With right. the support yeah. that they have it's from their fans. pressure from start, you know, from jump. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the expectation becomes higher and, and more expected as they go right. through their careers, as they elevate, right? So now it becomes this big pressure, which goes back to the point was like, who can Manti talk to about, this pressure that's coming from him. Who can I talk about about his pressures at home? Right. I mean, to be in this big football family. Psychiatrist. Right. True. Right. And that also has to be brought to uh, Polynesian families that it's okay to see a psychiatrist. Yeah. Do Polynesians, like, actively avoid 
counseling, mental health yeah, counseling? Because, I mean, if you go to see a psychiatrist, you're acknowledging that you and your family have problems. I thought it was just cost. And that too. Oh, it's like, I don't want to look like I don't understand how the human right. mind and right. I mean, Come on, Lance. You see this when we were living in Samoa, and then you see kids like either molested at a school or a church, and then it's like their families are always like, well, we're just going to forgive them and sweep it under the rug because we don't want our family to be known as the people who ruined the church. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. And then it becomes mm. this, this bar that I don't care what you're going through. You're not going to embarrass this family. Right. 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 So I don't care what you got to do. I don't care what has happened to you. Right. You're not going to drag this family name. Right. <laughs> what do you, what do you guys think about that? Is that something you, you'll continue to, Hey guys, watch out for my name. As long as there's still people who learn that way, they're still going to be. And as long as there's uh, churches that are, um, more ran by the family than uh, who cares if another family thinks some rumors of you, right? Again, again cultural wise, the Samoan family is like your family mm. name is everything. True, I mean, yeah. I have the degree and everything. If you go to school and you get the degree, what are they gonna look at? Whose kid is that? What's their last name? So, when you when I think about Naya and I think of Tuyasasopo, right? The family oh, name has carried on for generations, sports, excellence. That's what you think about. When you think about those kind of things, that's why the family name is so crucial in a lot of, you know, first generation out of Samoa to America is because that's what we live by. That's how we trace back our genealogy. It's everything. It's actually more than any degree or any title that you hold. It's just those are things that will elevate the name. But that's how they track back the your your really your family legacy. Right. Because I mean, is there any way we can keep like the family tree without like needing to continue the prestige of it. Yeah, of course. Like you have to I don't it. want my kid to feel like if she ever does something, oh, I'm gonna be upset because now people don't think the Falutongos can play football or can, you know. Like you I don't want to put that pressure. Well, you have the cheat code though, because you didn't marry into your culture. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's also a People like you backstabber. It's like my what? Mom, yeah, my mom and her siblings, same thing. Chico didn't marry into their culture, not all of them. But if you're talking strictly about culture, yeah, it has to start with the people who want to change it. Acceptance, basically, it starts yeah. there. Acceptance. People and make mistakes. People people do. do the wrong thing. People don't do what you yeah. think is perfect. Like that's yeah. gonna happen. Let's Just not my mom. Just give my it mom the weight. <laughs> Let's not give it the weight that it affects everyone in this family and our standing in the like i understand that's how it is because we like oh that family is this so they, the, the they've been in trouble with this so they're not good this family they all went to college so they're all great right the mindset I, yeah how do we change that so like uh ralph said the two yasusopos it's uh marcus manu um all great football players all great volleyball players but you have to also be accepting that uh naya comes along and is a great makeup artist it has to still be equal right. in that line other skills right but it has to be accepted passions it, the one person that has to accept it is that leader of that family it doesn't have to be your grandfather it ha or your grandmother or your dad it has to be the one person that everybody else is going to fall in line with be like oh well that's acceptable because you know what i mean the pillar of our family said it's acceptable so it's acceptable and if the pillar's wrong then you're just fucked for that generation pretty much, pretty much. no <laughs> yes yeah, in some situations, too, with families, it's like some, some of them are tied to 
religion and things like that. So there's right. certain things that they have to uphold as a family. Right. There's just something that's carried on. And then like to Forrest's point about having somebody be there, like a, so when you're talking about Niall going back to American Samoa, he's not only surrounded by his LGBTQ family, but he has family there that are more embracing, right? Right. Mm. It wasn't like that. Had that been acknowledged at an early age, the whole naked cool would have happened. Right. And so right. back to go figure out how he can be accepted because one, you got shame to your family's name. Number two, you're still trying to figure out identity. And if you're going to make a move to transition and then going to a place where you feel accepted, that's exactly what Forrest is saying is about acceptance. Yep. So to me, it's very much ties into your own family's ancestry and legacy, what they've built. But I do definitely think there's room, like Anaya, to carve his path, uh, her path now, as a, an accomplished choreographer for Samoan communities. Like he, she's done mm. amazing things since that time. This is ten years ago. Right. A makeup artist. He was. Uh, she was in Tonga doing um, big pageants and things like that nice. on a high scale level, which is very. Um, much in line with the Tuiasopo legacy when you're talking about trying to strive for excellence. And that's mm -hmm. any family. And I was like, so I think those qualities still follow the family. It's when it becomes hier hierarchy within the families. One element is religion. Two is if they have hierarchy within to the land, to the family that's old in the village. Right. So like my dad was a high chief too. So a lot of things I was like, oh, I can't do, I can't do any of that shit. I yeah. got way later. But all my talent and stuff where I became um, comfortable with who I was and my learning ability didn't come to later because at the height of my dad's serving in LDS church and a lot of shit has happened to me, for me personally, I can't do that. So I resonate with Niall's like, I can't come out and do all that stuff. Niall was just put in a position where he's done some shit where he can't hide from. If he wasn't on a big scale, mm. it would have been done smaller. It would have been done locally. It would have been done you know, with the families to talk about, because that's normally how you would do if you were a regular Samoan family or somebody was just get their ass kicked somewhere. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. But and, because Mansai was going, was a famous college football player and going to the NFL, it blew you got up. the congresswoman of Hawaii rooting for you. Yeah. Some next level shit, right? But so like for, for and it's uh, right now, it's 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 more visual to us or uh, that it's a, uh, LGBTQ can, like problem, but it's not. It's a Samoan kid problem because mm. even like uh, when I if when I wasn't part of that community and just was being groomed to be a, a pastor, but didn't want to be a pastor, maybe as you know, what I mean, just a straight male, maybe still wanted to do makeup, he still couldn't just because he's looked at as to be obedient and just go be a pastor, you know. So and then a lot of these guys, when you challenge stuff like that you're automatically either shunned from your family and kicked out. So now you have nobody or you have to leave the Island and you're doing things out here because your family back home can't see you. And you're like, I'm free until I go home. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So but you can't uh, be fully with your family and fully nah. yourself until nah. they're accepting of it. Polynesian, so you, Polynesian kids have it hard, man. man. I mean, all, all kids in all cultures have it hard, but us, cause we're Polynesian, we can, we can relate to it. Is we it, is it just cause of the, like, heaviness of the religion and how religion and the cultural norms so once those two are mixed i feel like the cultural norms were just different than before we got religion and we're told everything was no they were wrong just or the way so we were we, living we our were given more culture. restrictions now 
And then like whatever we had before was now magnified. So just like like women, uh, they were still held to a certain standard. You know, uh, they couldn't do certain things. Sing, you know, um, you still had to be obedient. Like you still what you're told is what you're told. That's what you do. That's you know, I mean, if you said anything and even if you knew you were right, if you spoke up against an elder or somebody that was viewed as a, a leader in your community, you're looked at as cheeky, kokari kiki. You know, that's that's cultural. And then when you bring in to religion, so now not only are you cheeky, but you're going against God. <laughs> you know what I mean? So now you're double screwed. So I feel like that the the older we get, as the generations get older, like our generation for us as going up. That right. it's starting to change the conversation now more than it was before because now we, right. we were in that place and now we're more open to having those conversations. Number one, number two, we're the change makers around this before the millennials. So yes. we would we're definitely in that space where we would have to have those conversations. But I feel like it's changing a lot more culturally, at least on the American side. I think oh, yeah. yeah. we'll always definitely. have those values, but the Americanized stuff, what's open now. I think it's a lot more nuanced. I feel like it's more open, um, but I think there's definitely things to point out is that they still don't know how to have those conversations with the kids because like right. my generation, even my own siblings, like I have to talk them through because I'm the kid whisperer. <laughs> All the kids tell me everything, but I don't, I don't tell them what they're, t- I don't tell my siblings what they tell me. I go and I, position a conversation with them mm. get them to think about what's really happening until right. they're ready and so like my brother i have a brother above me and a sister below me and i talk to them about their kids all the time the kids come to me with a lot of shit and so it's a lot to absorb but i understand and so i'm coming from the point of i'd rather them be open with me than have to tell them at 25 years old that you need to see a psychiatrist right so let right. me be a blessing and let me fulfill you here real quick on what's happening. And I know them too well, um, my siblings too well to position that conversation. And then we get into it, right? We get into really dissecting stuff over several conversations because we're not really conditioned to keep talking about emotions because if they talk a little bit more about it, it becomes this thing like, eh, just deal with it. Cause that's our generation. Mm. Yeah. Just deal with it, you know? Just deal with it. It's like, no matter what, or, you know, that's just the mentality, but this generation coming up, it's required to have that conversation. It's required for you to acknowledge how they're feeling. It's definitely there. And if you miss it, you're going to have some troubled kids that's going to go create a naked cool, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> no, exactly. And I mean, and that's the thing, I, I what I really would love to happen is for the culture and to progress. You know what I mean? Because I don't want to lose the culture because I've seen so many cultures like the Hawaiian culture right now. They're getting their language back. That's cool. But how long did that take? You know what I mean? They lost uh, trying to fight back to get what's rightfully theirs, their land. And us as Samoans back home, we still have that. But we also have these outdated norms that need to be changed and looked at and talked about and dissected. So that way we don't lose our culture. But at the same time, we don't damage the rest of the, the kids coming behind us and like you said, a lot of uh, our generation right now, Ralph, is they're more comfortable. Um, and I think it's not just because of the times are changing, but because of the people who they were afraid of to be who they were back then, to be who they were in front of, are all, and I'm not saying it's in a mean way, but they're all dying off. So right. now 
it's easier for them. I'm saying, I'm saying. So now it's easier yeah. for them to come out and be who they are, and you know what I mean, and 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 do things that they wouldn't have normally done in front of some of these older folks that would have, you know, condemned them for it. So, so here's a prime example of the case. I have a 14 year old niece who doesn't talk to my sister a lot about stuff. She talks to me a lot, and she started to express herself on TikToks through comedy and things like that, what she talks about nice. and posts about her families and her feelings. And I told my sister, why would you not, do you not look at her TikTok? Like, right, her social media. Her? That's actually how she's expressing herself. So yeah. if you mm-hmm. catch it, if you don't catch it, you're missing the whole point. The things that you want to fussy her about, about not opening up, it's right there in your face. Right. I was like, so I pay attention to everything all my nieces and nephews do, how they're feeling, how they're and TikTok has leveraged that expression because we're still not teaching them how to talk. And not only that, because they're not comfortable having a conversation with their parents about stuff, sexuality, whatever. Right. You know, mm-hmm. um, what they're feeling, if they're being bullied. Feelings. Yeah. And if your parents if, if the parents are open, then they'll look at it as their kids. That's how they're trying to open up to you. And if you take it that way. You know what I mean, things will work a lot smoother for you. You know what I mean? They're making it easier for you. They're not making the awkward conversation, but if you watch these things, that's how they feel. And I said, grab, grab your daughter's phone. Look at what is her algorithm on her team. That's mm-hmm. everything she's thinking about because the algorithm is so smart. It's going to catch and try to change their way of thinking and to give them um, content that they think of things they want to be, things they want right. to buy, things. It's like, that's actually mm. a key that's exactly thing. what the algorithm is for. Your kid's oh, social God. media algorithm knows them way better than you do. I was like, I, anytime so I tap into that. Let me see a TikTok. Grab me your phone. I'll go through and I was like, really? You're looking at boys? And I'm just like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll see. Just a bunch of those. That's it, right? I said, I'm not going to the to your friend's page. I'm going for for you because the algorithm is going to tell me what yeah. you're thinking about. Mm. <laughs> Exactly. Cheat code. Check out your kids for you page. It'll tell you exactly what they're looking at. It will in that's like a couple of flicks. That's why these kids have multiple pages. <laughs> oh yeah, yep. Enter the, the finsta. What uh? What are uh? The biggest. Let's close on this. The biggest takeaway that you uh have taken away from this episode of Untold. Um, I'll start first. Communication between a parent and a child is very important. You talk about uh, even mentioning the suicide rate uh, of some of these kids who feel they can't express themselves or be them true selves. That is, can be taken down by communicating and accepting just what your kid is saying as what they really mean and not trying to really decipher it into, well, you're being told this, so you must think this or that. Just listen to your kids, really listen to them, and hopefully let them become their true selves and not have to create a, a different kind of profile that they want people to see them as. But it's really like hearing from you guys, it is about the family, the village, right? The But the parents and just being able to trust their kid to to be themselves and to accept them fully as himself is what I'm uh, taking from. Could have avoided a bunch of uh, uh, the heartache and uh, millions of dollars that they lost and 
drama that was put out into the world. Forrest, what do you think? What do you take away from this? Besides what you said, just trying to. So, like, like I said, like I, I know Ralph is close to Ronaya. I've met Ronaya when he, he, she was in Samoa. Like, just the interview really made Ronaya look narcissistic, almost. Um, but media really has to be, and I know the media is never going to be what we want it to be, but they have to be held responsible and be more accountable for the things they put out. You know, just even like Deadspin, like why would you put out a story knowing that you possibly could be ruining people's lives and not check everything? Like, and that, that, that was their whole narrative was that they were trying to shame another publication for not checking facts. And here they are doing the same thing. And cultural wise, same thing. Like we just talked about things have to change in our culture so that the kids behind us aren't so pressured into doing things that mm-hmm. they're going to regret later. Like, why would you want your kid to be so pressured into doing something that, that they start doing things they shouldn't be doing? Kids shouldn't be pressured at all. Like, to- Cause you don't want to be embarrassed. You don't want your family name to be embarrassed. So kids need to be on the dot. Right. And that's crazy. Like, Best thing culture-wise is, is taking away from all of like these episodes is that we need to be better as the people in our, like the older people in our community, you know. Like like Rao said, since we're now uh at that age, 42, like we have people who are gonna listen to us that are older than us and that are younger than us. And it's our responsibility to start using our voices to make things better, not just for the kids, but for everybody. Cause there's still some there's still a lot of older people who are suffering from trauma. They can't release because they don't know how to do it. Mm. You know what I mean? And that, that's another big problem is that these guys are holding on to all this trauma and now they're uh, now they're bleeding all over their kids. You know what I mean? Because they've never been able to heal. <laughs> so instead of being healed, they're bleeding all over their kids. And now that's going to trickle over because that blood's going to be bled onto the next generation into the next gen. So learn to deal with our trauma, older folks, in a healthy way. In a healthy way, because alcohol and <laughs> alcohol is not a healthy way. I've seen how that works. It's not a healthy way. But yep. It's a way. <laughs> Ralph, your uh, big takeaway from uh, from the documentary? Yeah, I think um, my takeaway is um, acknowledgement of um, mental health. Um, I think mm-hmm. established early on. Um, to acknowledge trauma, um, things that have happened, not even to act on anything else. The conversation needs to happen. Right. I think it was a quote, and I'm gonna pull it up real quick, was what Manti took from going to a Jay-Z concert. I think- uh, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It was a quote in there is that, uh, I'm gonna pull it up right here. Something to the effect of, in order to heal, you have to, you ha- it has to be revealed to some effect like that. Yeah. In our culture, we're always kind of sweeping things under the rug. And I've seen too many situations where even molestation, rape, whatever the case may be, is swept mm-hmm. under the rug. So the victim or the perpetrator, nobody's acknowledging that it has happened, right? And then accepting that I need to heal from this point. 
right? <laughs> because Manti went through all those years, saw a psychiatrist who mm. said, have you forgiven you? He's like, well, what do you mean? He's right. like, have you given, forgiven yourself? Like, because we're going to be the hardest ones on ourselves. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So acknowledgement between not only in the family, but acknowledgement to the person that's voiced them. That was the biggest thing I took away from Naya was he really acknowledged, she really acknowledged what she did. She's acknowledging that she was going through identity crisis and acknowledging where she's going. And that's so important for the healing process um, when you're talking about any situation. So I think we struggle because nobody wants to acknowledge what really happened. And we've seen it time and time again because we're too busy trying to put on the face here about what you look like versus what it really is. You know what I'm saying? So that's what, and if I look at the whole um, documentary, that was a story of acknowledgement from both Manti, Naya, and even the media, right? They all acknowledged their their part in all of this and people's lives were destroyed because of it, mainly Manti. Amen. The fact that he acknowledged it and he even was the one main one that had to say yes to the director to do this tells me that there's still room as a community to acknowledge anything to grow from it. So a lot of parents don't want to deal with it because they don't have the, the tools to deal with it. You know, yes. and it's like to both of their families, they didn't know how to deal with that. <laughs> you know, they had all these layers. And then Naya acknowledging transgender at a time where everybody's kind of acknowledging that this is now a thing, which has always been, is saying like there is room for growth to acknowledge the things that you already know in your heart. You're just being told that you can't share it or you feel like you can't. And that's why we have such a big suicide rate amongst gay Polynesians because we're told not to acknowledge it, even when the family mm-hmm. is. So to me, it only intensifies the notion of um, acknowledgement. And then if you acknowledge it, then you can build a path how to build it, you know, and how to heal from it. So I took it from both sides. I thought it was great. If you take that lens out and just look at the story, what they learned from it, how they're healing, and they're both doing great in their respective right. And so if you don't take that story and how it applies to your life and acknowledging, go back and ask your parents if they know that one thing about you. And you're going to say no. I mean, yeah. I nothing. right. <laughs> I was like, keep it 100. Acknowledge your truth. That's all I got to say. Acknowledgement, communication, love, acceptance. These are things that can save lives. Amen. And re- what we really need to work on. Uh, Thank you so much for for sitting in for this conversation, both you, Forrest, and Ralph, yes, uh, yeah. at Ralph Misa Visuals. What's uh what's at what's at Ratchet Double Underscore Kitchen? So I'm I've been a cook for years. I'm currently going to culinary school. My brother passed away. He was one of our biggest chefs, and so I'm going to just go get. We've always wanted to do culinary school since we were young. And so it's almost going on two years since he passed and we always used to talk about it. So I said, all right, I'm going to go get certified for us. And that's just kind of love letter to my brother. But I've, I've been getting down in the kitchen. Your sister even knows that. That kind of spawned off of just stuff I always cook. But now I'm like kind of what I'm building from there is just to write a little cookbook that kind of keeps your family legacy. Nice. Learn. 
and then you know go travel um, and do some maybe some YouTube stuff and some recipes. But that's kind of like that's always been embedded. Now we have it official, you know, and then we'll see. Let's go. You you have our full support. Whatever you need, whatever we yes. can do to to help you in your journey and. Uh, having me yeah. on, man. It was nice to meet you, uh, Forrest, and yeah, and Lance on a podcast. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> just, Jump in here, let's go. <laughs> so what time are you guys recording yeah. now? And that's part of changing the culture. We just met each other on a podcast. I know, like, we didn't even talk about this shit, man. I was like, I don't care, man, because I, I feel like there's just needs to be some balance and perspective. Yeah, exactly. I'm a big fan exactly. of podcasts. I'm a big fan. Uh, talk radio i love all that kind of stuff and i was like you know what let me jump on real quick i was like let me have some add some color here <laughs> nice Amen. we love it we appreciate it very much appreciate uh your perspective and really being able to to talk with us and and add even more of the layers and everything that we've discussed over the last yeah. almost two hours man did you say you were on your way out the door my bad i was and i'm gonna be out the door after this <laughs> See what happened was. <laughs> that is our episode, episode 27 for the Polynesian Podcast. Thank you to everyone for listening. Always remember, stay hydrated, stay blessed, stay balling. Love and light. Peace. Today's show, as always, sponsored by LivasaIslandApparel.com. For gear that represents the South Pacific Island languages and cultures accurately and responsibly. Put on for the culture. Catch the wave at LavasaIslandApparel.com.